At Bethesda, we're grateful that we've been able to partner in this Back to Church event uh, annually for the past several years. Uh, it began in 2009 uh, as a dream, as a vision of this uh, gentleman that was uh, desiring to see people attend church again, maybe that hadn't been for a while or maybe that had never been to church. So he was dreaming about a day where that he could create a day that once a year annually that the church could have a Back to Church Sunday and people could attend and come to a service, and it's designed for visitors, for guests, for those uh, coming back to church, maybe that hadn't been for a while. So it's a, a great day. And all across America today, there's thousands upon thousands of churches across America that participate in this every year. Uh, we're grateful to do it as Bethesda. And I was reading through their website this morning, and over 120 different, 120 plus different denominations. Uh, and affiliations have participated since its beginning in 2009. So 120 different denominations coming together on a singular purpose to make a Back to Church Sunday for people to come and attend a worship service uh, with the church there. And isn't that a good thing? The scripture teaches how good and pleasant it is when brethren dwell together in, in unity. It's like the oil that travels down the beard of Aaron, it says. So it's, a, it's an awesome thing for churches to unite. And I'm grateful today as the pastor of Bethesda to say that uh, we at Bethesda, we are a non-denominational church, so we really are not a, a part of any denomination, that being Baptist or Methodist or anything else. Not that there's anything wrong with any of those, but we're just non-denominational as a church. We're grateful to be affiliated with the Kentucky Assemblies of God just so we can support missionaries. Uh, but we're part of that 120, amen, that comes together in one time a year. Everybody gets along. Look at your neighbor and say, wouldn't it be good if everybody could get along? Amen. Churches should get along. Amen. Churches should, whatever a church in North Carolina needs a blessing, we should give our offering to them. Amen. I'm glad that God weighed that upon my heart because uh, are we going to be okay? Probably freak Leslie out because she's the one that takes care of the books at Bethesda. And she's probably thinking, uh-oh, because there's only four Sundays a month. And, Pastor, you just give away one of them. But that's okay. Our bills will be paid. Amen. The Lord will provide. He always does. I'm not afraid. I, I perfectly trust him. And I know that they need uh, that offering, and it's going to go to good work. But we work together. And working together is a good thing. So 120 plus is amazing to me that they can get that big of a group to be collective in a mission of making a Back to Church Sunday. Uh, the average church sees a 25% increase in attendance on Back to Church Sunday, even small churches. We're considered a small church. Any church underneath of 200 people on average attendance on a, on a Sunday is considered a small church. And we are sometimes average between 70s and 80s, thereabout, as Bethesda between both campuses. And we're grateful that we are a small church, but we're a church that loves each other, loves God, loves people, right? And we're grateful to get a meet together every week, and we're hoping for that 25% too. Uh, also, it says on our website that 13,399, 472 people have been reached since uh, Back to Church Sunday was created back in 2009. That's amazing. Almost 14 million people coming back to church or attending church for their first time because of one man having a dream and having a vision. Isn't that awesome? 14 million people. That's just astounding to me. 92% uh, reported that their church, that it, back to church Sunday helps their church to be more outward focused. More outward focused. We should be outward focused. 
as a church, as a body, as Christians, amen? And I said it uh, during the first service this morning that uh, as Bethesda, we're better off whenever we're outward focused more so than inward focused because when churches become inward focused, we lose the sight of the mission of God. He tells us to go into all the highways and byways and compel people to come, right? He tells us to go and make disciples of all nations. He's constantly telling his disciples to go when we all get in here and we just try to get everybody else to come. Right? He tells us to go. And we're glad for everybody that's here this morning, but we need to be outward focused as a church. Amen? All churches should be outward focused. And inward focused means, what is it about me? So this is where people come to church, and they'll attend church, and then they'll say, well, I'm not getting fed anymore. I'm not going to church. I'm not getting fed. So if you're coming to church to be fed, I don't know if you're here for the right purpose. Will you get fed while you're in church? Absolutely. If, you get, if you're in a church service and you're hearing the Word of God preached and you're hearing anointed praise and worship music and if you're hearing uh, the love of God abound amongst the hearts of believers in this room, it's going to encourage you. It's going to lift you up. It's going to build you up. And you will be encouraged. But it shouldn't be the mission of why you attend a service. Amen. I don't come to get fed. I came to feed others. So the way I look at this is whenever Jesus was standing up on top of the mountain one day and he was preaching to a multitude, there was three to 5,000 people standing in attendance and he's up there and he's, he's, he's giving his, pouring his heart out and he looks around and everybody starts to get hungry. Has anybody ever been hungry? Just by me talking about it, my belly will start growling and here I'm standing with a microphone. You guys will try to cover yours, you'll hold your stomach or do something like that if yours starts growling, but mine's going to rumble like the whole room can hear it. And Greg's got a bass speaker up here now turned on that's even going to make it that much worse. But these people were hungry. Three to 5,000 people were hungry. And they were, they were waiting. And, you know, they, they had been listening to him preach a long time. So I'm not going to preach a long time today. I'm not going to be like Jesus here. I, I'm not going to preach like he did. But he preached for a long time. They got hungry. And Jesus looked at his disciples and he told his disciples, he said, go feed them. And the disciples looked around and they said, I, I didn't bring nothing. I think it's what's wrong with the churches in America. Amen. We come in, we invite our friends, we invite everybody else, and, and we come in and we hope the pastor feeds the people. When Jesus has equipped you to bring some meat in with you, amen, some love in with you, some peace in with you, some mercy in with you, and you stand there with your neighbor, and you can offer it to them. So the disciples, 12 disciples, they get nervous, and they look around, and they find this little boy, and he's got a, a two-piece fish dinner. He'd been to Long John Silver's that morning and wasn't hungry, apparently, and kept it. So he's got this two-piece fish dinner, two fish and five loaves. Man, he liked bread. He's kind of like me, amen? Go to the Texas Roadhouse. Oh, I could eat a pile of biscuits by myself. Just did this week. But, man, they're good. Something about that butter. It'll wear you out, won't it? So, so here he tells them, he, he, he says, well, go get that. And they find that boy, and they took that boy's meal. And Jesus tells them, well, break it, and I'm going to bless it. When I bless it, it's going to feed everybody here. Can you imagine feeding 5,000 people with a two-piece fish dinner? It would take God's blessing, wouldn't it? What if you just bring in a little and you don't understand that it seems like it's so small and God, this gift, this offering that I have and this little bit that I have to give today during the service, it's so little and it seems so insignificant. But God says, but with the little, there's much. Amen. If you'll just trust me with the little bit in your hand, I'll make it a bunch and it's going to feed everybody in the room. Amen. I can walk in with a little bit of peace in my heart and somebody else is having shattered lives and me just offering a little bit of my peace and God can feed thousands off of a little. Amen. 
It's amazing. Just by being together. And God tells us to be outward focused. Amen? Don't make church about me. The church is not about me. It's not about a building. It's not about fancy parking lots. That's what I'm grateful about Bethesda. We don't worry about our parking lot. Amen? If there's not enough people here to wear the grass out, then we'll just park on one side and keep one side graveled. Amen? It's okay. We don't get tore up about that. Why? Because I would rather give the five or $10,000 that it would take to blacktop that to a missionary to go love somebody around the world that's living in a mud hut, amen, than have a blacktop driveway for myself. I'm not worried about it. Why? Because it's the heart of God. It's the way we're supposed to be. There's nothing wrong with a concrete driveway or a blacktop driveway. If you've got enough money to do that, plus give to missionaries, then go ahead and do that. Amen. Maybe someday we'll have somebody rich walk in earning, and they'll just be like, you know what? I'm tired of parting on gravels and tripping through it with my high heels, and I'll just go ahead and blacktop the whole thing. Glory to God, get it done. Get you a contractor, bring them on. We won't stop you. It says here that 87% respond that having a special day motivated their members to invite friends and family. There's people in the room today that, were here, that are here because they were invited by somebody in their family or maybe their neighborhood, maybe it's somebody they work with, and there's people here today that's attending because somebody invited them. And we're grateful for everybody that's here and grateful that you've all came. And the purpose for coming to church is to love God and love people. And this room is full of people today. Those little kids down there in the basement today, it's full of little people. And they're just loving each other, and they're hollering and having a big old time. We'll hear them in a minute. They get loud about halfway through. I don't know what they do. I think they start feeding them uh, chocolate milk and pretzels and little candy and all kinds of stuff. They'll, they'll get them. I, I seen Doc out last night pushing a little kid in a stroller about, I don't know, it's late, Doc. Man, it's 9 o'clock. He was out pushing little kids in the stroller out in the parking lot down there in Garrison. Something special about kids, Amen. Something special about kids. But we're in the middle of this sermon series at Bethesda, and this is the, the center uh, uh, message in this series. It's a five-part series, and we've talked for the last two weeks uh, on revisions, the title of the sermon series. And the title, Revision, I'm grateful that we're there in the midst of that for the Back of the Church Sunday because here we are in revision mode, and revision is where that we allow God to redline our life. That's the purpose of this message, this sermon series, that we allow God to redline our life. Won't you look over at your neighbor and say, God's allowed to redline my life. Amen? Because you can't tell them that he's allowed to do their life, but you can tell them he's allowed to do it in my life. So as we look at that, and that's the whole perspective of this whole message and sermon series, is that we're allowing God. And on the screen there you see that being better the second chance. Because the word that's scribbled out or redlined out is being bitter the second chance. And that's what a lot of us live through our life. And we become more and more bitter the more and more we deal with in life. Amen? The farther we go, the more experience we've had, the more bitter we can become because we've been through some hell. Can anybody say amen? I've been through some troubled times. I've been through some high water. I've been through some places in life that cause me pain and anxiety and fear and all these things. And if I bring it into my present, it affects my future. Come on, somebody. Your past, if it's current in your present, will affect your future. So I believe today God wants us to become better instead of bitter. And really, it's only one little letter in that word that makes that different. 
Sometimes allowing God to allow Him to do even little things in your life will have extraordinary outcomes. Because in my present, if I allow Him to just change one word, it can change bitter to better. And that will change everything. So in this service series, it's been amazing because we've talked about allowing God to change our heart in week one, that we want him to change our innermost part of our being, that we allow him uh, to focus on our heart because out of the heart flows the issues of life. Amen? And then last week we talked about that we want to allow God to change our mind because some people need their mind changed. Amen? You got some stinking thinking, and there's some in this room. Amen? Amen? We had the sermon last week, and you still had some stinking thinking throughout last week. It's okay. Amen? We're all a mess. Amen? We're all uh, in perplexed times. We're all uh, troubled human beings. But with God, we can allow him to change it. Change is what we need. So as we speak this week, I want to speak about God changing. I can't even say the word. I get messed up, so I'm going to say it real slow. Changing your perception. If I try to say that fast, it won't come out right. Perception. Look at your neighbor and say real slow. Say per-cep-tion. Perception. Okay, we got that down. Got that out of the way. I've mastered that now. I've got, got the three-quarters of this sermon is done. Now, if I can just get you to change your per, per, perception... You're going to be okay, so I'm going to try not to say it anymore because I'm going to mess it up. But perception is what we're after, changing that. So last week we talked about Elijah, right, and Elijah coming. He had to get a, a new mindset, and he had to allow God to speak to areas of his life, and he had to allow God uh, and have faith in God to trust God to do things that he wasn't able to do. And you need to do that in your life. You need to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and say, God, I've tried to clean my life up. I've tried to fix the mess that I'm in, but I cannot do it, and I need your help. I need some outside help. It's kind of like being stuck in a car in a ditch. If you don't call the wrecker, they're never coming out, are they, Jason? You can call Jason. He'll come and get you on the road back, but guess what? If you can stand there and spin in the ditch all day long, you're still going to be stuck in the next morning. But if you call a record, they'll pull you out. Think about your life that way, that you have tried to guide your life and do what I wanted to do, and next thing you know, I ended up in a ditch, and here I sat all night with my foot on the floor, wasting gas, and doing all this extra effort, and going nowhere. Is there anybody here that'll say, that's me, amen? It feels like I've been trying to do it all, but I'm going nowhere. And today, God's wanting to deal with that. So uh, get, call the wrecker. Who is that? That's God. Amen. Just call God. Call on me. All that you are troubled and are weary. And I'll give you rest. Amen. Amen. What would rest be like? Wouldn't that be awesome? So here today, changing your perception. We talked about Elijah. So Elijah was this man, and we talked about him last week. You know that he prayed it wouldn't rain, and he prayed for three and a half years it wouldn't rain. It didn't rain. That's amazing. Praying for a, a, a season of drought. Nobody prays for that, but Elijah did. Why? Because God told him to. So at the end of that three and a half years, he calls and he tells him, bring all them prophets of Baal over here. Then he has the whole down showdown we told you about, right? Where they pray for fire, nothing comes. He prays for fire, fire comes. It's kind of crazy to pray for fire during the middle of a drought. I don't know if you realize that or not. It's craziness. The Bible is full of that type of stuff. It makes no, no logical sense whatsoever. Man, don't pray for fire. It's it's. Do you see how brown it is? I said, don't pray for fire then. 
But Elijah prays for fire. Fire comes. It burns up the altar. It burns up the sacrifice. It burns up all the stuff, all the water. And it pulls it up. And next thing you know, he's standing there. And then he tells him, he says, it's going to rain. I hear rain coming, right? Abundance of rain. And he's telling him about rain. And, and then he gets it back, and he's like, uh-oh. I told him it's going to rain. Anybody else ever say something and make promises you couldn't keep? Scary times, right? Don't make promises you can't keep, but he already did. He's a prophet. He spoke for God. He wasn't speaking for himself. He was speaking for God. What about us? Sometimes when God tells us to speak and we're too afraid, I don't know if God will show up or not. Why worry about it? If God tells you to speak, speak. He's the one has got to show up. It's not on your shoulders. It's on his. And he's been accountable for four, five, six thousand years, and he's always showed up, Ernie. We don't have to worry about it. Find me an instance anywhere where God failed, where God didn't show up in a timely fashion, where God didn't show up in changed situations. He shows up. We just got to be obedient. So here it is. And then, then he prays. It's going to rain. And he gets down and he prays. And then the next thing you know, three and a half year drought's over. It's raining. Then God tells him, get up and run down that hill. 14 miles. That's part of a marathon anyway. I'm more of the 5K type. I haven't ever got to do that yet. Sammy went and done it this year. You know, made me look bad. Dusty's done a 5K. I've been wanting to do a 5K for years. I still ain't done it. You probably tell why. I've done the couch to 5K with Leslie. I got to work around two miles and I quit. Isn't that just like us? Get started on it and quit. How many's ever done that with a diet? Show of hands. Everybody's ever done that with a diet? Last night I told Leslie, I, I, I need to lose weight. I've said that a million times in my life. I need to lose weight. She said, well, well you get this new app and you count cards. I said, I ain't counting nothing. I'm going to quit eating as much. <laughs> Amen. I don't need a new diet. I don't need a new fad. I don't need nothing else. I just need not eat as much. Come on. Or work more. One. That's the two options. It's just add and subtract. You don't have to do multiply, divide, and algorithms and all this. Just, amen, whatever you take in, you got to burn it off. That's the key. to That's, that's weight loss. That's Bethesda style right there. Uh, take it or leave it. I don't know. It'd work, I guess. Simple math. But Elijah's out there and he prays. Down. Next thing you know, he's praying for rain and it rains. And then he takes off down this hill and runs 14 miles so fast, he outruns the king on a horse and a chariot. Anybody want to get in a car, car out there in a minute and then let your neighbor get in the car and you take off on foot and say, oh, you know what, I'm going to beat you to Portsmouth. Amen. Or, or wherever. I'm, I'm going to Ponderosa to beat me to Willersburg. Good luck with that. The car's going to win. But God allowed Elijah to win. Amen. Imagine having all these wins in your bag. Imagine having all this winning and winning and, and God showing up and God doing miracles and God doing all these things and all those wins I'm stuffing away in my little handbag and I got them at my back, Ernie, and I, I know God's for me and he's not against me and I know I'm the head and not the tail. I know I'm above and not beneath. I know I'll go forward. I'll do great things for God. Why? Because he's with me. What about as a church if we would believe that God would revision our life and change our future? Amen. But Elijah gets there. He tells them what happened. Next thing you know, Jezebel hears about it. And Jezebel's the queen. She's the queen bee. She must be about like a praying man. That's the way I've got it figured. Male praying mass don't last long. They're singular in purpose. They're born... They procreate and then they die. Because she eats them. Yeah. Kind of a pitiful race, right? <laughs> kind of what Jezebel was like as a queen. Even Ahab was scared of her. The king was scared of her. She dominated everything. 
And she hears these stories about what Elijah had been doing. And she says this thing. She says, Elijah, as sure as I'm living today, before tomorrow morning, you're going to die. I'm going to have your head on a platter. Amen. She is speaking and telling him and confessing that she is going to kill this prophet of God. What happens to him with all these wins, with all these successes, with all the things God has done in his life? What does the prophet do? The Bible says that he runs away scared. He runs away and hides. And as he runs away and hides, he's sitting there and he gets all downcast and he gets all troubled and perplexed and all this stuff going on. And it, it, it's just amazing to me that this happens. And what God's been dealing with me all week this week about is... Uh, I use Greg's today. I use Donna's down there. Greg, if it falls apart, you just have to redo it. God's been dealing with me all week about how complex our life is. In revision. You know what it's like to get a red letter thing. I, I've wrote letters. I've wrote documents. I've wrote pamphlets. I've wrote all kinds of stuff in my life and teaching and doing different stuff I do. And, and I, I'll mess it up. Amen? I'll format things wrong. Has anybody ever done that? You put it in the wrong format. You got this out of line. All these columns all line up. And you get these grammar police. Amen? Them teachers. You know them grammar police, don't you? They're, they'll get on you for just little minuscule things. It seems like, like why in the world? No, I ain't going to worry about that. It's a dot, not a star. Who cares? <laughs> right? I put or, not and, and all this different stuff. They get in all this stuff, and they're just so blessings like that. With me, everything I, I write, and I, I, before I even post on Facebook, I usually make her read that just to see if I'm messing something up because I'm not very good at grammar. I'm better off to have it red-lined, right? I better have, to have somebody to look through it and sift through it. But life is complex. So sometimes I believe that what happens to us as humans is this, that we allow our life to become like this. Amen? It's complicated. If you don't believe me, try to live with somebody. Amen? Yeah. Try to grow up about 20-some years of your life, right, Elizabeth, and then have somebody come on over and get married and move in. Yep, mm -hmm. it's going to be awesome. <laughs> yeah. It gets even more complex, right? So it's like this, if, if you could design, if, if you could have this perfect opportunity for your, let's say your insurance policy. How many's got an insurance policy of some kind, whether it's an automobile, it's a car, it's a house, it's, it's maybe a farm, maybe it's this or that. And that, 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 it's pretty complex, right? You go down and you get to an insurance agent and you walk in, you'll be like, I've got this little shed over in the corner of the building, you know, outside of my house, and it's just a little bitty old dumpy looking thing, and I had them drag, drag it in, drop it off, it ain't worth much, I give like, you know, $5,000 for it or something, and, and it's my perfect little shed, and you tell them, I want some insurance on that shed in case something happened to it, just in case, you know, Jason, just, just in case. That's what insurance is for, right, just in case. They're betting something don't happen, you're betting it do. That's just the way it is. That's what insurance is. So here, I get this insurance policy on it, and they hand me something that looks about like this. Somebody say amen. They hand you that big insurance policy, and you're looking through it, and you're, you're fiddling through it. And the main thing, only thing I know how to read is really the dollar amount. How much does it cost? What's the date? Amen. When's it due? And how much do I owe for it? That's about all I know about insurance policies. And you go through there, and they got stuff about acts of God and this and that and, and all this different terminology and different stuff in insurance, and it's just complex, man. 
So then, then you're living through life, and you're like, yeah, this perfect little shed, and then you got a walnut tree over there, and the thin goes, uh, the roof gets a little bit thinner, and next thing you know, a big walnut falls off and goes through the corner of your shed, and you don't know it, and you ain't been out there for a while, and it knocks a big hole in the corner of the shed, and all this water's gushing in, and it rots out the whole back corner of the shed. So then you go down to your insurance agent, and you're like, man, I got this little document, you know, just this little, it's pretty simple, it's real easy to understand, right? Mm -hmm. You walk in, and you say, I, I'd like to get my insurance, and I'd like to turn it into insurance, and they look at you, and they say, well, that wasn't covered. <laughs> it's not the woman at the counter's, it's not her, it's not her fault, right? But we blame her anyway. What do you mean it's not covered? I've paid for 20 years on this little junk building and paid all these premiums, and now the one time that I need you to cover, you saying it ain't covered? Amen. We get mad, don't we? We get angry. Why? Because it wasn't covered. I thought it was. Did you read the document? That's what they'll say. Did you read the document? No. I read the amount, and I read the date. You have to walk out with your head down. Stood over, mad over. Why? Because it was too complex to figure it out. Isn't that just like life? Isn't that just like the life we live? I don't know about yours, but mine's complicated, man. I got a work life. All this thing's going on at work. I've got different departments at work. And then underneath each of those departments has got different subgroups down underneath of that responsible for all that I come home on Sundays I'm responsible for a church leading to church services through the middle of the week who's going on where's going whether family after family after family what are they doing are they sick are they sick well I didn't hear about it and this and that and all that going on it's pretty complex right then you go home and you got a wife everybody say that's even more complex yes. Yes. amen I had Leslie to any situation it'll just compound man I'm telling you it adds upon I sorry Leslie love you so life is complex. But I really believe this, that if we want God to move in our life and we give him the freedom that we all told our neighbor a minute ago, I'm going to allow him to redline my life, I believe he can take some stuff away. Amen. Most of the stuff he takes away really don't matter anyway. Amen? Amen? He'll remove stuff that you worry about that you shouldn't even be worried about because it don't matter anyway. He wants you to have a simple life. Baby, be a simple kind of man. Would you do this for me, son, if you can? I really believe that. God wants us to live a simple, free life. So as I say that, Elijah was this man that had all these wins. He was leading a really simple life, but all of a sudden, when one queen bee said, you're going to die, there's probably a voice like that. I can just imagine that in the Bible. You know, it's like, you're going to die, Elijah. That's what it sounds like. You know, like some of them video games you watch. Scary, right? Woo-hoo, I'm going to die. This man of God that prayed for rain when it hadn't rained for three and a half years. The guy that prayed for fire when fire never came. The guy that prayed for a drought when it had never been a drought like this. With all these winds... One little voice caused him to run away and have fear. And in that fear, his life went from being a single-page document to looking like this. 
And that's kind of like that in our life. We can be doing pretty good on one week and come into church and just man high-fiving everybody and life's been great. And like Sammy last year, he's just got hopeful and you know everything's going to be good and I'm going to call down there to school and they're going to let me teach at Lewis County and it's going to be awesome. And you call down there and you talk to your administrator and the, and the, and the people at the college and be like, you know what, I, I think I, they ought to give me a job. I got a job. I, I'm going to be the coach at Lewis County. It's going to be awesome. And he's all hopped up and they say, well, nope, you've got to come down here and do your student teaching. If you would have read your fine print, <laughs> right? It's true. In a moment, everything can change. We can be from the highest of highs in our life to the lowest of lows in an instant by one voice speaking doubt, fear, yeah. all these things that she did. I want to read this to you from 1 Kings chapter 19. We're just about done. Oh, Lord, I'm already 34 after. Sorry. And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had executed all the prophets with the sword. And then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as this life, as one of them by tomorrow about this time. She said, I'm going to kill like you, like those other prophets were killed. And when he saw that, he arose and ran for his life. He was running to her the day before. But because she's saying, I'm going to kill you, he takes off running for his life and went to Bathsheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. He left behind somebody he should have taken with him. You cannot do life alone. Amen? You cannot do life alone. So here it is. Elijah, he leaves him there. And, and, but he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. And came and sat down under a broom tree. Does that sound just like us? That whenever God tries to unite us, whenever God tries to get us in a connection group at church, or whenever God tries to move us into being and coming to church on a back to church Sunday, and, and, and God's trying to align us and connect us, that the enemy comes in and says, No, 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 no. They want to kill you. This is going to happen. That's going to happen. You better run away. And we run away in fear because of what if somebody else knows. What if somebody else knows my fears? Here's the scary part. This next line. And he prayed that he might die. Elijah the prophet that prayed for a drought, prayed for fire, prayed for rain, prayed all these things happened. Next thing you know, he's praying that he would die. Is that like anybody... Familiar to you? It's called suicide, right? I'm praying to die. It's a big deal in our community. Just a few months ago, young man, 14 years old, take his, took his life because he was alone. Even though he had a family that cared, he had a community that loved him, he had a school that loved him dearly. He took his own life. It's kind of sad. You know why? Because he thought his life looked like this. When really it didn't. Truly it didn't. Your life is not that complicated. It's as complicated as you make it. Elijah got to that point where I can't deal with this anymore. I can't, I can't handle it. I'd rather just die. How sad. Less than a month ago, a pastor in California 
He had been on a two-month sabbatical. He took two complete months off in June and July. Pastor in a mega church in, in California. He got thousands of people attend this church. He takes two months off because he's been there a long time, and he's like, I just need a break. I need to get away. And he gets away, and the next thing you know, he comes back, and he preaches three sermons in a row. On fear, on anxiety, on a oppression and all these different things he preaches these sermons about how I'm dealing with stuff that I don't like dealing with and he tells them about it and he's pretty open about it you can go back and watch the videos you can go home and google it you'll find him and listen to his sermons and after that third week he takes his life a pastor how sad a prophet of God praying under a tree I'd rather just die and I'm going to be open to you today we, we put images on things in our society to make people feel like you can't talk about that. When we ought to open up and the church ought to be a hospital, not a trophy case. Amen? Amen. There's not a bunch of perfect people sitting in here. Amen? You might have come in as a visitor this morning. You're looking around and you're saying, well, if he's here, man, I'm allowed to come here. Because <laughs> his life's a mess. Right? You might be looking at that individual like, oh, I know what they did last night. I don't know about you. I don't know. I've been watching their Facebook. I know what they're into. But the church should be a hospital, right? So I was in administration in the hospital once, and, and I, whenever I got the job, they gave me the grandmaster key. I had the key to everything in the entire hospital. So I, I'm the, I, I got the main key. I'm the maintenance director, and I'm, I'm, I'm everything, safety, security, housekeeping, IT, everything. I could log in and get to anybody's email, anything I wanted. The only person I answered to was CEO, and I'm there with this kid, so I go over the hospital, and I'm dealing with this and dealing with that and checking in here and checking closets for this. But there's one area that I was kind of afraid of. Anybody know what area that would be? Yeah, the sock floor. Because it's, it's, it's somewhere that you, you just don't go there, right? As society, we try to put that off as something, oh, that's weird, that's odd, that's strange. Finally, I got up the guts one day to go over there and open the door and I head in through there and I'm looking around and there's some guy standing in the middle of the hallway and they tell him what songs to sing. He sings to the top of his lungs and got a good voice. I mean, you could name Johnny Cash, Conway, Elvis, anybody you wanted. He'd just take off singing the song, standing right there in the middle of the aisle. And I was walking down through there and I was like, man, what's this sock word? This kind of looks just like regular people to me. And I go around, and I, I go around into the sitting room, and I got this outside court, and they play basketball and all this different stuff, and I walk up, and there's a lady from our church. I'm like, well, I didn't know you was here. And she's like, oh, how are you, Pastor? I just sit and talk to her, just like I would have talked to her if I was at church. And you know what? That's what we ought to be at church. Amen? If we know that somebody's dealing with mental issues or this or that, because somebody comes in with a cold, we might wipe our hands when we shake their hand, but we don't look at them like we do if somebody come in and say, well, I got mental illness, I got this going on, I got this psychiatric stuff happening, and, and we look at them like, oh, you're weird, man. Why do we do that? We're a hospital, church. We're a place where broken people are allowed to come and hurt and be in pain, and the rest of the church gather around them, put their arm around them and say, it's okay, it's okay. We need to be that type of place. Amen. The reason they deal with most of the issues they deal with is because their life looks like this. When in reality, God's saying it's a lot more simple than that, people. It's a lot more simple than that. Break it down. Find somebody to talk to. Don't leave your servant behind if you're going to sit under a broom tree. 
You better get... Uh, don't be alone, even if it's your wife. I tell Leslie about everything that goes on in my life. And I'll be open with you today. Me and her has had conversations about me wanting to take my own life within the past year. I'm your pastor. I love you. I cherish you. But I deal with things just like you deal with things. And you don't even know that Leslie sometimes has some things go on in her mind and she tells me about them. She'll come and open up. We should talk about issues in life. Amen. The church should be a place where we can get in connection groups and maybe be traveling down a, a river somewhere and floating in a kayak and look over at Cindy and say, I love you, Cindy. Amen. God wants to redline your life today. He wants to change your perspective, right? Perception. How can He do that? Only if you allow Him to. Because I'm here to tell you today, He can change this. He can change this. What most of us feel like in this place today. And he can pull it all out. He can look through it. He'll be like, you know what? You got all this other stuff going on. You got that going on. You got a house. You got cleaning. You got this. You got that. You got friends that hate you. You got this, that. But in reality, it's really only one page that matters. Amen. And what that page says is, I love you enough that I sent my son to die on a cross for your sins so that your life don't have to be complicated anymore. He wants to keep it simple, Jason. Because life's hard, isn't it? He lost his dad. He still ain't over it. And I know it. She knows it. He knows it. We're all here together. Amen. When you have a burden, I've got a burden. When I wake up, I know to pray for you because God tells me to. Amen. We're to share each other's burdens. Life is simple. Where's your daddy at, man? Because <laughs> it was simple. All you have to do is pray for God to forgive you of your sins and accept him as your Lord and Savior. And follow his direction and his leading and guiding. And it's as simple as one page. Amen. Won't you stand in this place today? Amen. Got to read this. Elijah sitting there and he prayed that he might die. And then he prayed this. this is three words and I want it to be your prayer today if you've got a complex life and a lot going on I want these these next three words of his prayer to be your prayer he said this it is enough it is enough what he was saying is I can't handle it anymore God I need you to Anybody feel like that? It's enough. 
Why don't you bow your head and close your eyes? Everybody here, nobody looking around. Is there anybody here that'll say, Pastor Ben, I'm in this place today and I had no idea what you were going to speak about. And I need to be, I needed to hear this. And today, it's been enough because I want a simple life. I'm ready for peace. I'm ready for the fear to be gone. I'm ready for anxiety to disappear from my life. I want a single page document, God, redline my life and take away whatever you will. Make it simple for me, God. Is there anybody here to lift your hand and say, that's me? Amen. There's hands all over the room. Anybody else? There's other people who need to lift your hand and say, I'm ready. It's enough. I'm ready for a simple life. Amen. You can put your hands down. I want everybody here to pray this prayer. Everybody here. Everybody say, Heavenly Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I'm asking you to forgive me for my faults, for my failures, for my sins. Help me to not live a complicated life. I give you permission to take away whatever you will. Make my life simple so I can have peace, so I can have rest. Allow me to be a light to others that needs to hear your voice. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.